Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Quite a weekend. The journos, the live media showing us exactly who they are and what they're all about. I couldn't even keep up with the conspiracy theories. I try to at least give myself some time on, say, Saturday. I, I try to give myself a, a little bit of leeway before I have to dive back into the, the political madness. But it was impossible to avoid this weekend, really, because you would see a conspiracy theory and think they can't really believe that, do they? And then you would have so-called experts going on air. And if you were thinking, and I don't think anybody was, but if somebody happened to be thinking that maybe this would be a moment where the president of the United States has what could be a life-threatening disease. So far, it seems like he's going to be just fine, as I've been telling you so far. Uh, but when you would think that that would bring the country together, it turns out that, no, for the libs, they can't even give the guy 48 hours in the hospital to see how he's doing before the endless conspiracies. And, and look, just let's be clear about this. They're rooting for a negative outcome here. I won't say how negative because some of them maybe draw the line from the worst possible outcomes. But they they really do think that it's bad for their cause unless the president gets really sick and is in the hospital for a week or two where it's clear that he's been really hit hard by coronavirus. Because, look, this is all very political. They're going to pretend like it's not. But whenever someone these days says to you, COVID-19 is not about politics, they're about to tell you something that is absolutely partisan. They're about to tell you something that is clearly political in nature. The president is doing well so far, and that means that you have a man who's 74 years old who is in a, a body mass index range that could be considered also an additional aggrava aggravating factor for COVID-19. He's on remdesivir. He's taking dexamethasone, so they've put him on some of the better treatment, some of the better modalities for approaching recovery in this virus, but he seems to be doing pretty darn well. And the libs are going back and forth. I can't tell what the conspiracy is going to be because it changes every few hours. I was seeing some. How do we know he's really sick over the weekend? And I'm not talking about. Random Internet trolls, I mean, people who are. Professional commentators, people in the media, journalists, saying that they, they don't think that we can really trust the president of the United States even has COVID-19. Maybe this is some kind of scam. Now, if you were looking for a, a clear, you could call it a rapid results test for Trump derangement syndrome, I think you have it with people who believe that the president could theoretically be faking his COVID-19 diagnosis. This is insane. This is people who, who truly need help. They may not have COVID, but they have a sickness of the mind. And the president has broken them. They're no longer able or capable of thinking clearly and normally about things. Uh, then the other side of this uh, is that the president is getting what, they're, what the president uh, put at risk. Secret service agents, because he went out and was in a car where there were a couple secret service agents driving and it was a short duration, but he was waving and the journos were apoplectic about this. 
completely freaking out, very angry because they're saying he put those uh, those agents lives at risk. And I even saw one anonymously sourced, of course, Secret Service agent who was saying that, you know, they're willing to take a bullet for the president, but not from the president was the line that was making the rounds over the weekend. First of all, uh, the president's health is not the health of just a normal person in that it affects our national security. It affects the economy. The markets will move up or down based upon this. This is really important. This is big stuff right now. Every life is precious and we're all equal in the eyes of God. But the president of the United States gets a personal security detail that's really a small army because his health and his safety matters to the country in a way that your average citizen does not. And hey, I'm here to admit that that's not really fair, but that's just the reality that we live in. And the president showing people that he's doing okay also has a value beyond just an average run-of-the-mill person saying, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a little bit better. He was wearing a mask. The Secret Service agents were wearing a mask. I don't know if there's a partition that separates them in the car. If there's a partition, I feel like, what are we even really talking about? Um, But if there is no partition, even still, I was led to believe that masks were very effective. We're told very effective at slowing the spread of this virus. So there were precautions taken in the vehicle. Uh, But there's also the possibility the Secret Service agents have already had COVID or been exposed to it. And then there's also the fact that they're around him all the time. They have to be in proximity to the president in rooms where he has just been present in areas where he has been breathing the air. That's just the nature of the job. If the president had the flu, for example, there would still be Secret Service protection and there would be some degree of risk. This is really getting to the fundamental question here. This is what people don't think about and need to think about. There is no such thing as a risk-free existence. And there is no such thing as a government that can protect you from all of the risks, health and otherwise, from daily life. And if they try to do that, you are living in a tyranny. We need to start accepting that there is no perfect safety or perfect future here and live with the virus around us instead of in constant fear of it. But there's so much now they're, they're desperate to show uh, that the president of the United States, because of his recklessness, that's it's his fault. He got sick. These are the things they want you to believe. It's his fault that he got sick. It's his fault that people around him got sick or that anybody was exposed to the virus. Blaming Trump for a virus that has spread around the entire globe. And in countries that are similar to us in terms of population density, uh, health precautions, The outcomes have been very similar to our outcomes. In fact, the U.S. on a per capita basis has done a lot better than many of our European counterparts. Other heads of state, other first ladies have gotten COVID-19. So is it all Trump's fault? I I just want to know what's really our baseline here. You know what you're not hearing about a lot these days in the media? Spain, the U.K., Ireland, all going back into lockdowns. In the case of Ireland, a full-scale national lockdown. The U.K., back into lockdown. Spain, back into lockdown. France, Paris is locked down. They're going to lock down even more beyond that, too. But wait a second. I thought I thought that they had done such a good job. And I thought all we had to do was wear masks. And it was the big, bad, mean Trumpster who wasn't wearing the masks enough. And so that's why it spread here. But why is it spreading all over Europe again? There's really no U.S. travel to Europe. So 
What's the problem here, folks? Is it Trump's fault? Is it the fault based on what the journos say about Trump? Is it the Europeans' fault as individuals that they didn't wear masks enough? Is that why they're getting sick? Is that what we're led to believe? Just notice that this creates this this veneer of an explanation, this facade of an explanation for whatever this disease will spread anywhere. It's it's the fault of the people for not listening to the government enough. That's what they're going to tell you. A government that has been atrociously wrong in, in all cases all over the world about how to deal with this. The World Health Organization, the CDC, the experts have been catastrophically wrong. Do not forget that. Same people that will now point to the CDC when they like the guidance or when they think it's useful as a political weapon. They don't care about public health. This has really come down to two people who are at two kinds of people who are advocating for the extreme lockdowns. Those who are just terrified, petrified. They they don't care what the actual death numbers show as a percentage of the population. They don't it doesn't matter. They're terrified and they just want everyone to live in fear as well because they can't help themselves. They're just so scared. And then there are people that view this at every opportunity as a means of both controlling other people and defeating political ideologies or a political ideology in the U.S., in this case, conservatism, that is rooted in individual liberty, in the freedom of the of the individual to act and uh, lawfulness, rule of law, all of these things. This is all under assault now. It is lawless, in fact, to extend states of emergency indefinitely I don't care if a legislator hands that power to the governor. I mean, that's like the legislator handing the power of a legislative body to the governor, which is what they've done in New York. That's not supposed to happen, right? The Supreme Court doesn't get to say, hey, we're going to give all of our power to the president. We're done here. Too scary. Don't, don't want to make any big decisions. Right? That, that's an erosion. That's a destruction of the separation of powers, which we have in place for a reason. These different governors are not acting as though we've learned the lessons we have in recent months. You look at Cuomo, you look at Murphy in New Jersey, Governor Whitmer up in Michigan. Florida is pretty much open in terms of open for business. Yeah, I'm sure people take some precautions still, but Florida's doing pretty well. You know where else they're doing well? Just to bring this back to Europe for a second. You got about, depending on the day, as many as 10,000. This is just the last couple of weeks, 10,000 new cases in Spain where they're not really doing a lot of testing, mind you. But they have a lot of sick people, a lot of people that are getting sick and going to the hospital in Spain. Uh, You know where you have about two to three hundred cases a day? Sweden. Whatever happened to Sweden is experimenting with mass human sacrifice. Remember that stuff back in May and June? Why is it that Sweden, which is even colder, so you'd think there'd be more indoors and more shared air circulation than you in, say, Spain. Why does Sweden only have a few hundred cases a day? And Spain, France, the UK, thousands and thousands of cases. Now, I know there's larger population, but control for population size. Sweden has 10 million people. Spain's got about 45 million people. So 4x. okay, 200 cases times four, 800 cases. Is that 10,000? No. So why does Spain have so many more? They keep acting like shutting down society and telling us all to stay in our homes is some brilliant scientific method to control this. Like this is some epidemiological breakthrough. No, you're shutting down society. And once society starts getting going again, there will be some more spread of this disease. We knew this in the beginning. It was flattened the curve for 15 days. If it was really about stopping the disease in its tracks until a vaccine was in full distribution everywhere. 
How could we have ever thought it was going to be 15 days? And that was Fauci and all the experts. How could we have ever thought that that was really a plan? 15 days was just meant to get the hospitals up to speed so they could handle it. And then we were supposed to transition back to normal life as closely as we could. And remember, while we had 15 days and then 30 days and then 60 days, huge spikes in cases in New York, New Jersey, continued more and more transmission, more and more transmission going on. It had already been seeded all throughout the population. And what lesson did they learn? No lesson. Listen to us more, peasant. It's your fault that this is coming back. That's what they tell you. That's what the experts say. It's all because we don't mask enough. There was a time when Fauci just a few months ago was saying social distancing is really the key. But then they realize social distancing is a fancy word for not living life and being around people. Treating everyone healthy and sick like we should all be in quarantine. Social distancing is effectively mass mass quarantine. That's what they're telling everybody. That was the idea. And we think that this is a, a path forward. And it's not even remember, it was locked down until the vaccine is too damaging to society. We can't advocate for that. That's what the experts were saying. Now it's, well, we don't know how effective the vaccine will really be. And there'll be a percentage of people that, you know, that, that it doesn't work for and we have to distribute it. So now we're going to we're going right now that the timetable the Democrats are on is they want Biden to win. And then 12 months from now, maybe they'll start thinking about actually stopping the panic. Maybe once they've had a full year to institute more policies, to propagandize more, to use the state of emergency to, you know, transition into we need a climate emergency declaration now, all that stuff. Then maybe so you're signing up for at least another year of this insanity if the Democrats have charged the federal government and at the state level, unfortunately, New York, California, New Jersey, we are screwed. Our governors have learned nothing. They're morons. They've learned nothing. Oh, actually, they like this. They like the power, certainly, of all of this. And the lib elites don't miss a paycheck, don't mind working from home. A lot of them have multiple houses to go to. They're fine. They, they don't see this as being a big deal. And when they really need to break the regulations and stuff to go to a fancy party, they're just going to be you know, careful about that, meaning careful not with covid, but that they don't get caught. That's what you're going to see. That, that's what's already been happening. But then Trump comes along and this causes a problem for the liberals, Causes a problem for the Democrats. So you have a 74 year old man. Of some girth. Not that I'm judging because it's been tough, tough lockdown for all of us, but. 74-year-old man of some girth who may be able to basically beat this thing in a few days. Okay, we're all living in fear of this virus. We're crushing our own economy, destroying millions of businesses and at each other's uh, at each other's throats in public over whether we're wearing a piece of cloth that doesn't actually seal anything around our mouth. But, you know, maybe it lessens the transmission a little bit. So we all have to do this now. Right. That's what. This is not based. There's no data to show you on this. They just say do this. okay? but if the president beats covid and then beats Biden. I don't know if the left can even handle this. How could they be more broken than they are? Aren't they already emotionally and psychologically shattered? I really hope that this is what happens, and I think it will. But I also wonder what the country will be like when the libs realize for all of their machinations all their schemes plotting and dishonesty they still lost thanks for listening to the best of buck daily podcast 
Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. Oh, now there's also that story that they're they're hopping all over the place about uh, very, very upset about Trump's doctor, Dr. Conley. And uh, he said this and oh, oh, they're looking for something. Remember, what are they really poking at here that the president people are lying about? We're going to know if he's healthy or not. Okay, we're going to figure this out really quickly. There's there's going to be a a clear determination here one way or the other. Either the president gets better or he gets worse and we got a real problem as a country. But the libs, are, they can't wait for any. They're, they're looking for anything they can to dig into right now to undermine the positive vibes around the president and the sense that he's getting past this. Whatever they can do. They've dug into this process. They've dug into every statement of every person from the White House and from the doctors just looking to find even the slightest inconsistency without applying the basic rules of, of English and human decency where you would say, look, you know, we're going to say the, pre- you know, we, the president's doing well. What do you mean doing well? We had somebody else say the president had some concerning symptoms. Is that well? Yeah, you were talking about doctors here. They're 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 not going to sit there and and go into panic mode. But the Democrats want panic. They want it. And they also want to find ways to make this whole scenario about the recklessness of Trump and his team. And speaking of Democrats, here's Chris Wallace. Did the DNC a big favor in that last debate? I'm sure there's a big fat contract waiting for him at NBC whenever he decides to leave Fox, whenever whenever he pulls the Shepard Smith, which, you know, why shouldn't he at this point? We all know what the deal is. But Steve Cortez, a friend of mine, and uh, he was getting into a little bit of a tussle with Chris Wallace on air. Play three. People were distanced and they had been tested. Both of those things were true in that convention hall. No, Steve, they weren't distanced. And there were rules and there was no there was they, no freedom of choice. I, they broke the Chris, rules. I was there. I was they, there like no, you were. And they Steve, were distanced. Wh- why those did they break the rules? Those chairs were not close together. Look, those chairs were not close together. And again, we also believe that people it doesn't can matter, Steve. The rules from the Cleveland Clinic choices. were close together, Steve. And the rules okay. from the Cleveland Clinic were everybody wears you know, a mask. Why didn't Chris, they? Chris, the way you're starting to harangue me now actually reminds me of what you did to the president during that debate on Tuesday night. When oh, he yeah, debated, I, he, not I just harangued Joe, him. No, and then he had, to, he had to debate not just Joe, Joe Biden, but you as well. You were not a neutral moderator then. I don't mind tough questions. I welcome you know how reasonably tough questions. But what I don't think is okay is for you to become the effective opposition to the president. Okay, and those everyone there was it, tested it, it, in the crowd. They were distanced from each other. People can make reasonable Steve, decisions that, for themselves. Steve, no, they actually they can't. No, they can't, he says. You notice that, Chris Wallace? People can't, you can't decide for yourself. You have, no, you have no more health autonomy. Oh, get ready for forced vaccination, my friends, because that's happening. And I, I'm about to get a vaccine because I got a little nephew coming in a few weeks. I'm about to get a vaccine for whooping cough, and I'm fine with that. I'm not anti-vax. Don't even think that for a second. But mandatory vaccination for a disease that really only affects a certain portion of the population. Remember, we're not talking about mandatory vaccine just for people who are at high risk. Everybody, everybody's got to get it. That's what we're going to be told. Hmm. Uh, okay. I'm not, not, now that hasn't been determined yet, but if you think the Democrats aren't willing to do that, and remember, there's a lot of ways to coerce without saying it's mandatory, but making it effectively mandatory. Oh, you don't have to get the vaccine. You just, you can't go to public school in New York, let's say, without it. Oh, too bad. But wait, my eight-year-old 
you know, is at very little risk from this and the parents will get vaccinated. But why does he have to get vaccinated at this stage? No, they're not going to care. You're not allowed to make health decisions for yourself. Not allowed to make health decisions. That's that's another part of this. We also can't even talk honestly about why is the U.S. at such high risk? Why why have we had uh, some of the problems that we've had? Well, we have a lot more health issues in general than other countries do. We do have we have, for example, one tenth. And that's a real number. I mean, I've actually done the uh, pull the numbers on this, pull the data. One tenth the obesity of of Japan, similar numbers in South Korea, 10 percent. Now, that's the single biggest risk factor other than age for this disease. But we're not even looking at that. In fact, what we've done is made everyone less healthy, made people gain weight. And I mean that seriously, people have gained some substantial weight during this period. Not helpful, not helpful for the uh, inflammatory system. Uh, inflammatory systems that kick in if you, if you do get this disease. But instead, what we have is all, all, all of the above policy, right? One size fits all. That's top down from the federal government, especially if Biden wins. And I think that was so illuminating when you had Chris Wallace saying, no, they can't actually make decisions for themselves. That's really what the Democrats think here. You, can, you can't make this call. Sorry. Not allowed to make this call for yourself. Mm-mm. Can't do it. Other people have to be making these calls for you. You know, I just saw today another study, another study. I don't know if it's, you know, which studies are we supposed to believe? Another, you know, peer reviewed study says uh, COVID can spread 15 feet in the air. Mm, Okay, so so now when you say, well, if it can spread 15 feet, why are we distancing six feet? Because distancing 15 feet is going to look truly ridiculous. And it means that a lot of things are completely impossible. Forget about indoor dining and restaurants and all this. But it also raises the point. Well, so what are we really going to do here? We're going to live in a society where we stay, you know, 20 feet away from each other. Why not 30 feet? You know, if, if you're really worried about this, shouldn't it just be 30? Well, then just just don't be in the same indoors environment with any other human being for as long as we have this. I suppose that's the direction we're going into now. I mean, the libs have really convinced themselves. I see it now more than ever that if only we complied more. And this is hitting the Midwest hard right now. Right. A lot of cases in the Midwest. Texas has been through this. Arizona has been through this. Florida has been through this. Georgia has been through this. You know, it's been through the South. Now, when in the early days of this, I remember I was doing this show from New York. The pandemic was, you know, people thought it might have had a up to a three percent fatality rate, which would have, you know, we're talking about Spanish influenza numbers. You're getting there. I think Spanish influenza was five percent fatality overall. But that's it spread like wildfire. And that was millions and millions of people dying from it. Turned out the real Individual case fatality rate was something is something more like point zero one percent, point zero two percent of people who get it, something like that. And and that's for all age groups and all all health, uh, all health profiles. I remember in the early days, people saying, oh, Buck, but it's not going to be that bad elsewhere. No, it spreads all over the place and it's highly contagious. And we know this now. We've seen this. Uh, We also know that. There have been periods where, as I've said to you, in New York, and they want you to forget about this. You did. I did not see an unmasked person in Manhattan indoors for months, months. And people were wearing masks and gloves and the cases kept kept going up and up and up and up and up for about 10 weeks. The same thing you see if you if you look at the way this goes, it gets into a population. You got about a 10 week, a 10 week. It looks like a bell curve. And then it finally goes down. And if you look at mask mandates and when they're instituted and what ends up happening afterwards, there's no correlation between 
government mask mandates and cases going down that you can. I mean, it happens in some places and other places. It's the opposite. So why can't we have an honest conversation about this? Oh, no, because and it spreads 15 feet. But don't worry, the cloth mask you have that doesn't actually filter out anything that's in the air. Uh, that would be aerosolized. But don't worry, the cloth mask is going to entirely protect you or even substantially protect you. I mean, maybe is it 5% better? Is it 10% better? I, I brought this up over the weekend and, and I see people, you know, we're having the same fights. And I know it's frustrating, but think of it like gun control. Every two years, the libs go into some frenzy about gun violence and they forget all the, all the arguments we've had in the past, all the reasons why mass confiscation will not work. Mass confiscation is not possible. And they want the same fight over again because they just want to wear us down. This is a little bit different because they actually have the, con- the, quote, consensus on their side. And they're hoping that we forget everything that's happened in the past. Right? But I remember when New York was in full on lockdown and it was cases and more cases and more cases. And well, hold on a second. We were being so careful. We were being so careful, but it didn't matter. We're, su- we're told to forget that now or that, that that didn't really happen. And also this now moral judgment. It is now a moral judgment if you don't wear a mask. And this is what you see with Trump and the White House staff and the way the media is depicting all of this. It's reckless what he's done with the Secret Service. It's reckless. You're putting people in harm's way by not wearing a mask constantly, even outside, even outside. Now, we've gone to outside mask wearing. Oh, yeah. A few months ago, we were told, no, no, no. Come on. That's not necessary by the same health authorities that now say, oh, no, it's necessary. Because what they keep mandating that we do does not work. So what do they do next? Mandate the next thing and say we didn't do the thing they mandated well enough. Lockdowns, friends, are like communism. It's never that the system is rotten. The system is ineffective. It's that we didn't do it the right way. And apparently all of us have been murdering people with the flu for as long as we've been alive because we weren't wearing masks. People who believe in the sacred powers of cloth masks will dismiss this. They'll say, "Eh, it's not the flu. No, really think this one through. Forget about the idiots who can't think for uh, for themselves. If you're putting people at risk now because you don't wear a mask outside, what about all the all the years? You know, I've had the flu several times in the past and people say, oh, but you're the symptoms. Right. We have all this asymptomatic spread of covid, which is interesting because do we have the same degree of asymptomatic spread of cold viruses in general? But a question for another time. But even with the flu, you are you are contagious, very contagious for 24 hours before you show flu symptoms. So we've been infecting people because we don't wear masks and social distance during flu season. Tens of thousands of people die every year. And the only they'll they'll dismiss this. But the the real answer is, well, 30 to 60,000 flu deaths every year isn't that bad. And Trump wasn't president. Those are the only answers that they act when they're actually forced to look at this issue and look at this question. Those are the only answers. There is no other answer. I'm sorry, as you can tell, I'm very frustrated by this. And and I'm frustrated that people aren't willing to be uh, honest about what has happened and what is happening. And we're all supposed to live in this fantasy land where if only Joe Biden was Joe Biden is a moron. Okay, if Joe Biden was in charge, this would all be better. It's not possible to be really intelligent and believe that I'm not saying Trump has done some great job. I don't think anyone's done a really great job because ultimately I think the government isn't able to do that much about this. It's not that much. If, if I'm wrong, explain to me why most of the westernized industrial countries around the world have had pretty much the same outcome, which is really bad. But that's obvious, isn't it? Think it through. 
Think for yourselves. One of the reasons why I appreciate those of you who listen to the show is that they, you listen to this because of the thinking we do here, the analysis we do. I don't have the biggest flat platform. I don't have a show on Fox News. I don't have a lot of people putting up billboards of me all over the place. We just think better than other shows. And you, my friends, are a part of that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. Everybody's rooting for the president to make a full recovery, right? I mean, everyone's being a decent, reasonable human being during this period, right? No, of course not. Of course not. We're talking about Democrats. They're completely out of their freaking minds. You had a SNL over the weekend, which still exists, even though it sucks and has been unwatchable garbage really for the last 20 years, maybe the last 15 years. Um, a lot of just woke bull crap. Uh, it's just it's just garbage. It's just not good. I'd say it has one sketch every two years or two seasons that's kind of funny and worth watching. Other than that, it's, it's like watching a bunch of annoying liberal college students who think they're so funny and doing like the funniest bits. And it's so funny. It's horrible. Uh, you had Chris Rock on SNL over the weekend. Um, remember, the president's in the hospital. He does have what could be for his age group a lethal disease. Here's what this uh, famous multimillionaire comedian has to say. Play five. Before we even get started, let's, let's, you know, let's say the elephant in the room. Uh, you know, President Trump's in the hospital uh, from COVID. And I just want to say my heart goes out to COVID. <laughs> They're all laughing. It's so funny. That's funny. Is that funny? Really? Would it be funny if, if that were, uh, you know, one of Chris Rock's parents in the hospital with COVID? Would that be funny? Would that be a funny joke? It would be funny if uh, it was, you know, your your father, your mother in the hospital with COVID-19. Are you making jokes about how you're, you're rooting for COVID? Is that is that supposed to be really that's supposed to be funny, huh? Hmm. This just goes to show you the the corrupt uh, mind that the libs now share. I mean, they have a hive mind. There's a collectivist approach to all of this uh, where there's there's no decency or morality that can be extended to Trump. And when you ask them why or when you try to get greater clarity on what it is that makes Trump so beneath any feelings of warmth or decency, uh, they just start spewing a bunch of nonsense talking points because they've been brainwashed. Trump doesn't care about children in cages. And, well, I mean, actually, for example, if you look at that issue, the president did change the policy and it was because of an intentional fraudulent surge at the border by people exploiting our immigration laws. But yes, there were parents separated from children. It was done because whenever you're arrested, you are separated from kids and they were breaking the law. But the president addressed that and there was no more separation. But they'll still say he doesn't care about it. Oh, OK, well, there's a policy that was inherited and that was the law and the president didn't write the laws. Uh, or the president's racist, and they'll talk about Charlottesville, and you'll say, well, hold on a second. The Charlottesville, the transcript shows that he didn't say that the neo-Nazis were good people, but no, that doesn't, doesn't matter. The facts don't, the facts don't go through. The, the facts do not break through the bubble. They do not break through the echo chamber. Uh, they simply do not care. And the fact that people would laugh at this, I mean, I will tell you this, there was never a moment in time where I wished ill health or, or any kind of you know, physical harm or danger upon the president when it was Obama or his family. And if I had ever seen anybody that I knew on the right who was publicly doing that, I, I would have chewed them out. And you know, we, we police our own on the right when we see crap like that. 
We do. I know the libs would say, no, we, we absolutely do. I'm talking about people that have some clout and respect in the community. I'm not talking about some, you know, rando who's got a blog that 10 people read. Um, there is a, a fundamental morality here that we must keep even when the opponents that we have politically do not. And that's hard to do. Trump is an escalation in the tactics used to fight back against the left. And it's the right move. Otherwise, what we just have is a lot of people losing gracefully. The Mitt Romney approach, just lose gracefully to progressives, let them enact their policies, destroy this country, lose gracefully, you know, lose and smile and they'll pat you on the head and send you on your way. That was the old Republican Party. Really, the only thing that stopped that from becoming even more apparent was that we were fighting a war against radical Islam for a while, which at least which united conservatives and Republicans and some Democrats for a bit. It didn't last very long, did it? Um, but even when we're doing that, even when we're willing to fight against opponents who don't do so with honor, who don't do so with decency, we need to remember during all of that that we maintain decency, that we maintain some fundamental, foundational morality during all of this. Because what we have been seeing from Democrats while the president's sick in the hospital should both be appalling, but also motivating. It should motivate you all to go out and support this president in every way that you can. It should motivate all of us um, to make sure that we get every single person, we know every single uh, individual to go out there and support the president. You know, you don't want anyone, you know, who's a on the fence, an independent, a Trump supporter who stays home. And you got to remember moments like Chris Rock making a first of all, it wasn't even a clever joke. It's gross. Uh, but making jokes like that, because when Trump beats covid right on schedule, which I am predicting and very confident he's going to. And then handily beats Joe Biden and the lib celebrities and the journos all have a mass hysteria meltdown. They will have earned every second of their own deranged anguish for the next four years of the Trump presidency. This time around, I do plan on being somewhat of a sore winner, as I've told you. I have no no problem with uh, laughing and pointing and saying, I told you so, because I can tell you this. They're going to loot and riot and destroy no matter how we act afterwards. So we wouldn't do that. That's that baseline morality. If Joe Biden wins, I'm going to say, all right, let's clean ourselves up, rally the opposition, try to take, you know, as much as we can of the midterms and get ready for defeating Joe Biden or really Kamala Harris because <laughs> we all know how that's going to go. Biden's going to step down. He's going to step down. That's going to happen. Um, but you would see right now, this is a point at which there should be no politics. Everyone should just be rooting for. And look, President Obama put out a good statement about about Trump. There have been Democrats who not all Democrats are hateful. I understand that. I admit there are Democrats who are friends of mine, who are good people. But I'm talking about the overall mentality of the left, the Democrat Party, the dominant narrative, the dominant feelings among those on the left who make the opinions, who make the narratives. And it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Here's Senator Dick Durbin, play eight. 
Well, first, Stephanie, let me tell you, I wish the president and first lady a speedy recovery. Politics aside, we should be human beings first and foremost. But second, let me tell you, this president has never taken COVID-19 seriously. From the beginning, misleading the American people, not showing national leadership when we needed it, absolutely, for testing and PPE, ignoring the advice of experts from the start, refusing to wear masks, continuing to have these mass rallies and put people at risk, and then he pulled it off again last night while a patient of Walter Reed. Imagine now that those Secret Service agents in that car with him and others now have to quarantine themselves for 14 days because this president wanted to wave from his car as he went past his supporters. It just shows the kind of approach to this deadly virus that a president should not have. It's a terrible message to the American people. I hope he gets better, but it's all his fault. That's what the Democrats are telling you. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast. I want to take a step away from all the Trump COVID hospital stay stuff for a moment. Update you here on Brianna Taylor's family asking the Kentucky governor to appoint a new special prosecutor. This is from uh, ABC News saying their fight for justice is not over. Brianna Taylor's family asked the governor of Kentucky to appoint a new special prosecutor to reopen the case and slam state attorney General Daniel Cameron for intentionally not presenting homicide charges against three white officers who fatally shot the 26 year old black woman in her own apartment. The request was made in an open letter to Governor Andy Bashir and came a day after the public release of 15 hours of recordings of a three day grand jury hearing, which resulted in one officer being indicted on wanton endangerment charges, but not for Taylor's death. Unfortunately, Cameron did not serve as an unbiased prosecutor in this case and intentionally did not present charges to the grand jury that would have pursued justice for Ms. Taylor, reads the letter addressed to Bashir, posted online by Taylor's family attorney. End quote here. This is from ABC News. You're going to see a lot more of this, folks. The I didn't get the prosecutor I want, so let's get a new let's demand a new special prosecutor who can bring new charges against uncharged people. Now, this is really uh, a kind of abuse within the system or abuse of the system for partisan ends. Oh, well, let's hand it to a special prosecutor now. Based on what? Based on we don't like the decision the last prosecutor made. Our whole system is that we have people that are in positions of authority. And look, prosecutors, very little oversight. It's a big problem. It's not like I'm a big fan of, of the way that uh, prosecutions often happen in this country. But but the way it usually goes down, we've got people who are in charge of making this call, usually at a, either a district attorney, a state's attorney, or U.S. attorney. And it's their call. And sometimes it's a close one. But now we have a situation where when charges aren't brought to the satisfaction of BLM activists, then they turn up the political pressure The mob essentially gathers outside, sometimes literally does this. This is what they've done. This is what they did in Omaha, Nebraska for that individual, the bar owner uh, who was being charged with murder for defending himself. You're not allowed to attack somebody who has a gun and just assume they're not going to use the gun. And they're supposed to assume that you're not going to use their gun on them. No. If I see that somebody's got an open carry or concealed carry going on, I'm not thinking I'm going to punch this guy in the face as part of a mob because he's never going to use that on me. If I think that and I get shot, it's on me. But don't worry, that's never going to happen. But in that case, the initial prosecutor, this this is now the new this is the way 
the Alinskyite socialist leftist mob goes about its business when they don't get the politically motivated charges they want against an individual for self-defense or against a police officer or an incident like this. They demand a special prosecutor comes in. Oh, let's bring in somebody else to look at this as if they'll be happy with that. Why not bring in a special prosecutor after that special prosecutor? Why not bring in 10 special prosecutors to see if you can get one who brings charges? Remember when during the the Hillary Clinton email fiasco, let's take a step back and remember that for a moment. During the Hillary Clinton email fiasco, there was um, this story that you'd hear, this narrative of events that James Comey offered up with no prosecutor would have ever brought charges based on what happened here. And then there were a whole bunch of former federal prosecutors who were like, no, actually, I would have brought charges. So all that it really came down to there was the person who got to make the decision, the decider, to borrow from Bush. It's a great word. We should really use that one more. Uh, the decider in that case went in favor of Hillary Clinton, but could have gone the other way. And you know what? Unfortunately, that's the system that we have. Because the alternative is what we see here, where there is a political demand. And let me just also be very clear. Murder charges for Breonna Taylor would be insane okay i mean for the cops that shot her that would be insane there's no person who believes that they want so i mean murder charges are completely outrageous no one even claims the cops meant to shoot her no one thinks they wanted to shoot her it was an accident she was in the line of fire it would be like if cops were having a shootout with bank robbers and a bullet went over the bank robber's shoulder the cop fired and hit a little old lady standing 10 feet behind him that's a tragedy that's very sad and the city is responsible for trying to make some form of of uh, amends for that financially and, and otherwise. But it's not a criminal act. It's doesn't it doesn't make the cop a murderer. There's a big difference here. You know, somebody uh, somebody was uh, on, a, on a bicycle, a nurse is terrible story out of New York. Uh, a nurse going home, I think it was 730 in the morning over the weekend after a long shift at a hospital. She was on a bicycle and. Uh, I, I don't know the specifics of how it went down, but a motorcycle a mo- got a motorcycle hit her when she was on the bicycle and she died and he went into the hospital. He was in critical condition being on a motorcycle. I mean, a, a motorcycle is dangerous, too. Um, and there's no charges expected. It's a terrible accident. Now, maybe there's civil damages that will come into play. And I'm sure that there's going to be a lawsuit here. But no, I mean, based on the, the fact pattern here, it was not a murder. It was an accident. And, and th- they're pretending like they can't understand this. There's, the, there's this pretend that they don't know the difference between an accident and a murder. Now, if they're going to say it's reckless endangerment, then they're going to have to get over or, or involuntary manslaughter. Rather, then they're going to have, uh, have to get over the hurdle of proving that returning gunfire when you are being shot at by someone is not acceptable. Where, where did these cops go wrong? That's what the real question has to be. This is why the state attorney general in Kentucky didn't didn't provide murder charges. Where did they go wrong? Because under fire, they weren't good enough shots. Because they didn't have a clear enough view down a dark hallway at three o'clock in the morning or whatever it is of, of everybody that was in the line of fire when they were being shot at. I mean, think about if you applied this logic to the military, anytime the military had an airstrike that killed an innocent civilian, uh, we would we would have to have a court martial and, and murder charges. But. We don't do that, do we? Because we understand that we do the best that we can. But when you're talking about lethal force situations, 
The world is imperfect. And uh, those who are saying that there needs to be a a special prosecutor in Breonna Taylor's case, this is motivated by politics. It's because a lot of people have been have been talking about this case based on lies. There was no knock. There was a knock. Um, She was shot while asleep in her bed. She was standing in the hallway. I mean, you know, they're saying things that are just not true. And they got everyone, you know, whipped up into this into this rage. All these BLM activists and Antifa and, you know, people were all all angry about this one. Right. Antifa and and the libs and the Democrat Party. And. You know. When you look at what actually happened here. It's not true. What they say happened is not true. It is not accurate. And yet now we have to have the appointment of a of a special prosecutor. I I just think that's an issue. I think that's just what you're going to keep seeing in these cases where they go into a decision that they don't like. And so then it's, oh, well, we need another prosecutor who will give us the decision you want. It's supposed to be about justice and the process is respected to achieve justice. It's not about a desired political result. But the politicization of prosecutors is one of the biggest problems this country faces right now. And that's what's going on. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Biden went to Michigan on Friday anyway. He tested negative. The virus can take several days to manifest. Um, did you have any concerns about coming, him coming to your state? I didn't, because, you know, we know that Joe Biden's been taking this virus seriously. He's been following the science. The Trump administration, on the other hand, has been misleading America, has been ridiculing mask wearing, has downright undermined the efforts that governors like me and your earlier guest, Governor DeWine, have been trying to get people to mask up. This virus doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care what side of the aisle you're on. It doesn't care what side of the state line you're on. It is still very present. Joe Biden has been following the science and modeling the kind of behavior that we should all be emulating because our lives are on the line. And that's why that's why I'm so enthusiastic about Joe Biden as Mm -hmm. our our next president, because he's got a plan to clean this up and fix this mess that the Trump virus response has gotten us into. The Trump virus response, you see that? She's the governor of a state that's had a terrible time. Michigan's had a terrible time with COVID-19, but it's Trump's fault. How, how does that work exactly? How is it Trump's fault that things have been so bad in Michigan? Oh, he was supposed to create some magic force field around the United States that was going to prevent the virus from spreading here. He allowed states to make their own determinations about what kind of restrictions to put in place, how long they were going to be in lockdown. He allowed all of that. So what exactly was he supposed to do different? This is the part that I want. I want everyone to focus in on because we've got a vice presidential debate this Wednesday. This will come up again there. Hopefully the president will be able to do debate again for a second debate against Biden, assuming that Biden's willing to show up and assuming that Trump is healthy enough. Um, but what was he supposed to do differently? It's really like the personal behavior. That, again, their individual hatred of Trump, meaning their, their hatred of him as a person is really the main policy complaint, too. They just they just hate this guy. They just freaking hate him. And everything else is secondary to that feeling. Everything else is secondary to that urge. So a lot of us sit around saying, well, hold on a second. You're going to keep talking about how he had a failed response. What was supposed to be different? 
that he was going to personally wear masks more. It's like the president infected everybody himself. That's the that's the feeling you get from some of this. And Gretchen Whitmer up in Michigan just got uh, just got smacked down by the, the state Supreme Court. It said that some of her covid stuff is on, is a violation of the state constitution. This is not complicated, folks. There's just a lot of cowardice out there right now. So even in the courts, judges don't want to be responsible for this. But there has been abuse of power going on here for months. You can't declare an, an endless state of emergency with all this arbitrary nonsense going on about, you know, what the numbers are of acceptable. Remember, we've had there have been states. New York's a great example where they said, OK, when we get to the following numbers, we'll open things up. And then we get to those numbers and they won't open things up. And you say, well, hold on. This is what you promised. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They changed. They changed their mind. It doesn't matter. All of a sudden they have a different view of things. You say, well, that's uh, that feels pretty tyrannical, doesn't it? But no, instead of of getting a, a worthwhile discussion about what could be done now, what should be done now, which, in my view, is basic mitigation measures for, certain, you know, you know, large crowds, things that are uh, things that are going to be possibly super spreader events. There can be some basic mitigation there. Um but other than that, I mean, you know, yeah, indoor dining, all this stuff. Bring it back. Let let people live their lives again. And if, if anyone's really concerned about that, stay home. Stay home until you feel like the vaccine is out there or whatever. Otherwise, what? We're all going to stay home because some people are scared. I don't understand. When does that end? Other people have a veto over your most basic freedom, your freedom to see other human beings, to go outside, to breathe fresh air, to leave your home, to run your business. Other people's anxiety has a veto over all that. Now, you understand that that's that's the country that we're living in. Um, that's what Gretchen Whitmer wants for all of us. And you know that this is political because as we're closer than ever to a vaccine, which is obviously the case, we are closer than ever to a vaccine. Somehow they're calling for more draconian restrictions than ever before. Somehow we're supposed to be even more terrified of this than ever before. Um. So, you know, it's very obvious to me. But no, instead, we're going to have to keep focusing on the Rose Garden event. Play clip nine. You know, Americans don't like it when you make when you purposefully, forcefully make a mistake that causes a bigger problem. And in this case, that super spreader event was clearly just unbelievable. If even if you barely believe in the science here, uh, but if you do believe in the science and your doctor has told you to wear a mask to stay safe, looking at that video is hard to watch. How does it impact how people feel about how the Republicans are handling the SCOTUS nomination? Oh, it's absolutely disastrous on that front because as you know, Jonathan was saying earlier, that event with Amy Coney Barrett at the White House was meant to change the discourse away from coronavirus. And instead it massively backfired in the most incredible way. And even before that, there was some evidence that the Supreme Court was not going to be this huge coup for Republicans. Shortly after um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, there became a bunch of polls that came out that showed that by huge margins, Americans wanted the winner of the presidential election to nominate um, the next Supreme Court justice. Oh, we get to hear about polls again. I don't give a I don't give a crap what polls say about the Supreme Court justice situation. No one cares. We have a process. This would be like saying the president can't really make a decision as he's president because there's a poll that says that, you know, he's below 50 percent approval. So he can't do that thing because the American people aren't with him because they don't approve. Right. That's a dumb. That would be dumb. I think everyone would kind of understand that. 
But that's where we are. Oh, the polls say that this is what the president should do. I don't care. Polls are nothing. Polls are just a talking point. It's a snapshot of an idea. Who cares? Changes tomorrow. But notice the transition from the event in the Rose Garden was so bad. It didn't allow them to talk about the Supreme Court stuff. And then we immediately transition transition to, uh, well, you heard it. Of course, right? It's don't don't confirm ACB. Uh, you're going to hear a lot more of that. The, the, the desperation around this. You have to remember people that are opposed to ACB getting nominated to the Supreme Court, the people that don't want that to happen. They don't care how dumb they sound with the arguments they make against it. All that matters to to them is that they're making the argument and that they're getting the benefit of that among their fellow Democrats. All that they can really take away from this is, well, I did my part. I threw everything that I had at this. I was willing to lie, cheat and steal. You name it, I was willing to do it. Anything to stop ACB from getting nominated to the Supreme Court. No, she's nominated and it's going to happen. And that, that, that brings me to another, another place, another level of thinking about this. Uh, friends, if ACB gets nominated and... I'm sorry, if she gets um, confirmed, rather, if she gets confirmed, goes through and then Trump and, and in the meantime, right around the same period of time, let's say Trump beats COVID-19 entirely back out on the campaign trail and then Trump beats Biden. What are Democrats or Democrats going to cling to in all of this? What's going to be the the, uh, the safety blanket that they're going to have? You have to wonder about this. What are they going to tell themselves after all they've thrown at this guy and all the challenges of this year? I, I don't know what their shrieks of despair will sound like, and I don't know what their emotional meltdowns will look like. But I know that it is going to be a, a, a truly uh, both horrifying and satisfying experience to observe it all. I don't think they can handle all this and they might have to.